Well, it's great to be together. Uh, as Ben mentioned, my name is Adam and I have the privilege of as serving as one of the pastors here and I have the privilege now to open up God's Word for us. And I do love that line in that song that we just sang, Speak what is true. We don't need more uh, opinions, we need what is true and what is true is the Word of God. And that's why we open it up uh, week in, week out together. And what we've been doing, if you've been here for the last few weeks, is we've been looking inwards at our relationship with God. For the last six weeks, we've been asking ourselves the question, are we personally awake and alive to God? Now what we're doing for the next month or so is we're looking outwards. We're asking ourselves the question, are we personally involved in God's mission in the world? Are we part of what God is doing in the world? Now the Bible very obviously tells us that God has a plan for this world. The Bible opens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It ends, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God has a plan for us and a plan for this world. And it's more than just simply getting us to behave better. It is a recreated cosmos. It is a redeemed people. It is life with God fully and forever. And the truth is, we need a hope this massive, this big, this deep. Because the world we live in is deeply fractured and deeply broken. The world's greatest ever singer-songwriter, Bob Dylan, put it this way. In one of his songs, he said, Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts, streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken, everything is broken. Bob has a way with words, doesn't he? (laughs) Now you might think that's an overly bleak view of the world. But I think if we look at the world around us, if we look at our own lives within us, we would say that this is true. But God has a plan to fix the brokenness, to redeem the mess. And in the words of Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth 2,000 years ago, was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, died and was raised raised to life in Jerusalem. He described what God is doing in this way. He said God's mission in this world is to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I don't know if you've ever lost something that was really valuable to you. In the last 12 months I have lost not one but two pairs of Ray-Ban sunglasses which is now why my wife has banned me from expensive sunglasses and I'm only allowed to buy the cheap ones from the servo. But when I realised that I'd lost my sunglasses, I desperately searched for them. I wanted them back. Because this is what you do when you lose something valuable. And this is what God is doing in the world. He sent Jesus to seek and to save a lost and rebellious people, to bring us back to him, to bring us back into restored relationship with God. But the good news 
or the amazing news of the Bible is not just that God has a plan for this world, but that God actually includes us in his plan, in his purposes. In other words, we're not just recipients of God's grace. If we're followers of Jesus, we're also participants in God's mission. This is what Jesus said to some of his followers in Jerusalem after he had risen from death. He said to them, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we are about as end of the earth as you can get. We are down under and yet here we are worshipping Jesus because for thousands of years followers of Jesus have done just this. They've been participants in Jesus' mission in the world. They have spread to the ends of the earth to be involved in what God is doing. And so the question that you and I need to wrestle with, the question that we need to answer and what we're going to be exploring in the coming weeks is are we involved? Are we part of what God is doing in the world? Now, you might be thinking, Adam, it's a miracle that I'm even in church tonight. I mean, I'm just trying to pay the bills, keep my job, keep the kids alive, make it through uni, whatever else. You know, I'm just trying to make it through my own life and you're telling me that I now have to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, I understand that. I mean, life is hectic for so many of us. But I think the reason we often, or the reason we might think that way is because we misunderstand what it means to be involved in God's mission. When we hear words like mission and and reaching out and and sharing our faith, we tend to automatically think about things like overseas trips, moving overseas, or or we think of soapboxes and megaphones, or we think of door knocking. And if we're honest, this makes us all a little bit nervous. We're not sure that we can do that, we're not sure that we even want to do that, and we're not sure that we have time for that in the midst of our busy lives. But that's exactly the point. Because involvement in God's mission, it does not take you away from your everyday life. Of course it might. God might uh, call you to go overseas. That might happen. But for most of us, our involvement in God's mission, it takes place in the midst of our ordinary lives. At home, at work, at uni, in the car park, at school pickup, at Woolies. Because wherever God has placed you is where He has called you to make a difference. And we need to be ready and open to be used by God wherever and whenever. In fact, I read a True story this week about a wedding in South Australia, in Glenelg, in 2010. The wedding party were posing for pictures on a scenic ledge when a woman who was unrelated to the wedding fell into the water and began to drown. And so the best man, who was dressed up in his tuxedo, 
dived into the water uh, to rescue this woman. And he starts to drag her back into shore. And so the bride, who was a trained nurse, then wades into the water in her wedding dress and begins to administer CPR. Now, by the time the surf life-saving volunteers arrived, the the woman had regained consciousness. But they said she was incredibly lucky that this wedding party took the actions that they did. And, of course, after they had done that, the very wet but very brave best man and bride rejoined the wedding and went on to celebrate. And this is a good picture of our involvement in God's mission. It's going to happen in the midst of our ordinary lives and we need to be ready whenever and wherever to be used by God. And this is why we are launching into this new series tonight. This series that we've called Lost and Found. As followers of Jesus and as a church, we want to be actively engaged in God's mission in the world. We want to be part of what God is doing in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I need this series. When it comes to evangelism and mission and sharing my faith, my track record and my current lifestyle leave a lot to be desired. I need help to be encouraged and equipped to to reach out to others, and maybe you do as well. Also, you may not know this, but Easter is only a little over four weeks away. Now, Easter is a time of the year when people are more willing to engage in spiritual conversations. It's a time of the year when church and going to church comes onto the agenda for people when at other times of the year it wouldn't. And so through this series, we want to encourage you to engage with people in the lead up to Easter. We want to encourage you to invite someone in your life to our Easter services and to Easter on the lawn. To maybe take that step that you've never taken before. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and, and you're here tonight and we're so glad that you're with us. Maybe you're thinking, this is the problem with you Christians. You're always trying to convert everybody. Why can't you just leave people alone? Why do you have to try to force your beliefs on others? Now let me just say, I know that some Christians can be uh, a little bit arrogant, forceful and, and maybe even condescending. And if you've had an experience like that with a Christian, then let me just say that I'm sorry. The truth is, as we're going to see tonight, that the ultimate motivation for us to to reach out to others, to tell you about Jesus, is love. It's not because we're better or smarter or, or more moral or anything like that. It's simply because we have come to experience and to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we want you to know and to experience that as well. And so let me just be upfront and honest about that. Because this is where we're going in the next few weeks. And we're going to begin tonight by looking at Jesus' heart for the lost. When Jesus looks out upon the the multitudes of people who are far from God, who don't know God, what does he feel? Is it disgust? Is it revulsion? Is it apathy? He doesn't really care? Or... Is it something else? Now this is so important for us to understand because if we are going to be a church that engages in Jesus' mission in the world, 
then we need to have and to share Jesus' heart for the world. And so to do that, to explore Jesus' heart for the lost tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry in the New Testament. Matthew is one of Jesus' twelve disciples, one of his followers. And we're going to be looking at what he had to say about Jesus' heart for the lost in Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 through to 38. You can follow along on the screen as I read, follow along in your Bible if you have it with you, or we've printed the passage in the growth group guide. Hopefully you received one of these on the the way in, and on page four you will find uh, the passage that we'll be exploring tonight. So this is what we read in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out labourers into his harvest. Now this short passage has only four verses, but we can gain an important insight from each verse. The first thing we see in verse 35 is Jesus' mission in the world. Verse 35 gives us a summary of Jesus' ministry. It tells us what Jesus did during his time on earth. And if we were to summarise it, we might say that Jesus came from heaven to earth with good news from God. That word gospel in verse 35, it literally means good news. Jesus came to share the good news of God's kingdom. The good news that God had not forgotten about his world. That God had a plan for his world. That through Jesus... Sin would be dealt with. Evil would be removed. Death would be destroyed. That through Jesus, peace would reign. Justice would come and relationships would be restored. Jesus came to share the good news of God's kingdom. Jesus also came to show the reality of God's kingdom. That's why Jesus went around healing diseases and afflictions. I mean, in the first nine chapters of Uh, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus heals paralytics, lepers, all kinds of sick people. And Jesus didn't do this as kind of party tricks to, to show off. Jesus did this as a preview of God's promised kingdom. That God's kingdom would be a place where all suffering would be removed. All evil would be destroyed. In fact, I love what one German scholar has to say about this, a man by the name of Jürgen Moltmann. Listen to what he says. He says, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonised 
and wounded. Jesus came to recreate the world that God intended. Jesus came to share and to show the good news of God's promised kingdom. But the purpose of this passage is not just to tell us about Jesus' mission in the world. It's also to tell us about our mission in this world. In fact, this passage is actually a pivotal passage in the Gospel of Matthew. It works like a hinge. Now, what does a hinge do? A hinge enables the door to swing open. Now, this passage kind of is the door that swings open from Jesus' ministry to the disciples' ministry and to the followers of Jesus and their ministry. All the way in the first nine chapters of Matthew's Gospel, it's all about what Jesus did. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, all of a sudden we're told that Jesus includes his disciples in his mission. Because to be a follower of Jesus means that you are a participant in Jesus' mission. And this is the first truth that we really must come to understand. If you are a Christian, you are involved in Jesus' mission in the world. God is calling you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And this means many, many different things. In the Bible, prayer and good deeds and answering questions and public praise in church, all of these things are connected to God's mission in the world. And so depending on how God has gifted you, depending upon where God has placed you, this will look like many different things for us. But the key truth is that if we are a follower of Jesus, we are to be involved in Jesus' mission in the world. And so the question is, are you involved? Are you in the game or are you sitting on the sidelines? Now, of course, if we are going to be involved in Jesus' mission in the world, then we need to have Jesus' heart for the world. And this is the second insight that we're given in verse 36 we discover Jesus' heart for the world. And what we read there is that we read about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. This gives us a really powerful glimpse into the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is filled with compassion. Now that word compassion is actually a really strong word. It literally means to have the bowels yearn. Now, I'm not too sure exactly what that means, but it sounds serious. It's something that comes from deep within. We might say that when Jesus looked at the crowds, crowds of people who are far from God, he had gut-wrenching compassion on them. Now, what is it about the crowds that moved Jesus so deeply? Was it their physical sickness and their physical illness? Remember, Jesus had been travelling around healing people and he certainly was moved by their, their physical suffering. But it's not that. Verse 36 goes on to say that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is moved by their spiritual need. They are far from God. They don't know God and it moves Jesus deeply. 
And to be honest, it still moves Jesus to this day. I mean, all around us are crowds of people who are harassed and helpless. Wherever you go this week, whether you're at the shops or at work or at uni or the pub or football, whatever it is, you will come across people who are harassed and helpless. Now, they might not look like that on the surface. They might look actually very content and happy and successful. They might look like they have everything together. They might even be feeling that way. But if you were to dig a little bit deeper, it might be a different story. As the comedian uh, Louis C.K. once said, everything's amazing right now and nobody's happy. Now we can see that this is true simply through the statistics around things like suicide and mental health and drug and alcohol abuse and other addictions. When we're left to ourselves, we don't know how to deal with the things that we face. But here's the amazing insight from this passage. When Jesus looks upon the crowds of people who are far from God, who don't know God, what flows out of his heart is not revulsion or disgust or anger or apathy. What flows out of his heart is compassion. And if we are going to engage in Jesus' mission in this world, then we need to share Jesus' heart for the world. And so let me just ask you, when you look at crowds of people around you, people who believe differently to you, people who dress differently to you, who vote differently to you, who talk differently to you, who have different coloured skin to you, what flows out of your heart? Judgment? Ridicule? Contempt? Do you look down your nose with a bit of a haughty scoff? Do you spit out moral outrage? Or like Jesus, does compassion flow from your heart? Now let's be honest, in the age of outrage, compassion is a diminishing commodity. Compassion is becoming increasingly rare. In fact, the University of Michigan did a a study where they they surveyed 14,000 college students between the years 1979 and 2009. And what they found was that in that period of time, over that 30 years, there had been a drastic decline in empathy. There had been a drastic decline in our care and concern for others. And it leads us to the question, well, why do we care less? Why is empathy diminishing? And of course, there are lots of theories and there's lots of different causes, but the experts would say that one of the main reasons is the rise of social media. Now, I'm not a hater. I mean, I've got Facebook and Instagram account. But I think we would all agree, uh, as a result of our interactions online and what we see online, that compassion and care and concern for others is not a strong trait of social media. Now, uh, Craig Rochelle is a, a pastor in the United States and he gives us three reasons why social media makes us care less about others. Firstly, he says social media makes us care less about others because it makes us obsessed with ourselves. 
Now, I thought I don't really need to prove that, I could just move on to point two, but, but it's true, isn't it? We post a photo of ourselves or our kid or our lunch or whatever it is, and then we obsessively check to see how many likes does it have. Who's liked it? Who's commented? What have they said? I mean, it makes us obsessed with ourselves. And number two, social media makes us care less about others because overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. Now, when we open up our Facebook app and we scroll through our newsfeed, we are bombarded with stories of suffering and injustice and pain in the world. And it can become so overwhelming that it actually leads us to, to find it hard to really care. I mean, we're scrolling through and we see something like happened, uh, tragedy this week in New Zealand, and then we scroll a bit further and there's a cat video. We scroll a bit further and there's a recipe for chocolate cake and and our brain just finds it hard to really grasp and and differentiate between these things that we're just scrolling through. Overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. Number three, Grishel says, uh, social media makes us care less about others because a lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. And so if someone posts on Facebook that they lost their job and and you see that, you're probably going to post a a comment of sympathy. You might even react with a sad face. But I mean, let's be honest, in 30 seconds or so after you've scrolled on down further, you've probably moved on. But if you're sitting face to face with someone and with tears in their eyes, they tell you that they've lost their job. You're going to care far more deeply. And so this is the challenge that we face as followers of Jesus. Jesus calls us to engage the world with compassion. And we need to be wary of some of the things that we have in our lives. Now, to be fair, I wouldn't totally blame Mark Zuckerberg for our decline in empathy. I believe there's another reason that we fail to extend compassion to others. And I think it is that we are not certain of Jesus' compassion towards us. And we cannot give to others what we ourselves do not have. I think many of us deep down have the sneaking suspicion that when God looks at us, he's shaking his head. He's disappointed. He's frustrated. He's tired of us. But the heart of God is warm and tender towards us. The heart of God is filled with compassion for us. And I could take you to many different places in the Bible, but just listen to these words from Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. You see, we have to provoke God to anger. We don't have to provoke him to love. Love pours out of his heart. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And when we know that the heart of God is filled with compassion for us, we cannot help but extend that compassion to others. We cannot help but be moved towards others because this is what compassion does compassion is not just an emotion it's not just a feeling 
No, it's not just feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is an action. It moves us to action. As Craig Rochelle says, caring is not liking a post, it's loving a person. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. Anytime he has compassion on someone or on a crowd, he's always then moved to action on behalf of that person or that crowd. And if we are going to follow Jesus in his mission in this world, then we need to have our hearts filled with compassion for the world and we need to be moved to action on behalf of the world. Now, this is going to look different for all of us. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what this looks like for you in your life. But what I can say is that when God places a person or a need on your heart, and he is calling you to reach out to that person, to meet that need, to move out in action. Because when our hearts are filled with compassion, it moves us towards others. It engages us in Jesus' mission. And in fact, this is exactly the challenge that Jesus gives us in verse 37, which is the third thing that we see in this passage. Don't worry, the final two points are much quicker. Verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Jesus says there is good news and bad news. The good news is that the crowds of people who are harassed and helpless, who are far from God, they are ready to hear and to receive good news from God. The bad news is that not many people are ready to tell them. There's a massive audience, but only a few messengers. So let me just ask you this, and this is Jesus' challenge to us. Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do you believe that the people in your life, in your circles, are ready to hear good news from God? Do you believe that God might be sending you to them? Or do you believe that people really aren't that interested? That it's a waste of time to tell them about Jesus? Don't believe that lie. Now I understand that many people are resistant, even antagonistic towards Christianity. And I'm not saying that if you get up on the train tomorrow, stand on your seat and start to yell at people about Jesus, that you're going to have a particularly receptive or grateful audience. But I am saying that if you are willing to engage with people in your life sensibly, honestly, authentically, lovingly, then people will be open to hear good news from God. And at the end of the day, what really matters when it comes to our involvement in God's mission, it's not our skills, it's not our knowledge, it's not our expertise, it's our openness to God. I mean, it's God's mission after all. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're responsible for faithfulness, He's responsible for results. And this is why Jesus says what He does in the very next verse, which is the final thing that we see in this passage. And that is Jesus' solution for us. Verse 38, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Now, if I'm honest, that's not what I would expect Jesus to say. I might have expected Him to say, The harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. Therefore, go and tell people. Get moving. Get speaking. Go and talk to others. 
But Jesus doesn't say start by talking to others. He says start by talking to God. Start with prayer. See, according to Jesus, our involvement in his mission in the world, it begins with and it is fueled by prayer. And this tells us that one of the most important things that we can do each day when we get up, it's not just to get up and to get busy working for God, doing things for God. It's actually to get low and to ask God to work on our behalf. To open up doors, to give us opportunities to soften hearts. Because Jesus knows that if we are going to follow him in his mission in this world, then we not only need to share his heart for the world, we also need his power to make a difference. And so as we close tonight, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to leave some space for you to pray. Now maybe you're not a a Christian here tonight, and maybe you just want to use this time as as a chance to, to be honest with God. Maybe you want to say, God, I don't know if you're real. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. But but if you are, would you reveal yourself to me in a true and a real way? That's a prayer that God loves to answer. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then let's do what Jesus says here and let's pray. Let's ask that God might use us as a church to be involved in the, the privilege of being involved in his mission in this world. Let's ask God to give us a heart of compassion for the world, to move us to action on behalf of others, to raise up more people among us so that we can reach more people, to open the eyes, to soften the hearts of those who we know and love so that they might see Jesus for who he really is. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave some space for you to pray. Then I'll wrap it up and we're going to sing our lungs out to our great God in heaven. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. Join me, church. Heavenly Father, send us out into the world with your love and with your message on your mission. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the crowds of people around us as you see them. Fill our hearts with your compassion. Remind us each and every day that the work is yours, but you invite us to be a part of it, to be part of what you are doing in this world. Give us sensitivity and boldness. Give us great love. Help us to speak with clarity, to love with intensity, and to follow Jesus and his mission in this world for the good of our community, for the good of our nation, and for the glory of your name. Father, thank you that 
you have given us life in Jesus. Help us to share and to show that life with others. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we've included a a list of prayer points in the bulletin that you would have received on the way in tonight. I'll just encourage you to use those prayer points this week. Keep praying for opportunities. Keep praying for God to work and to use us. And come back next week because we're going to explore some stories that Jesus told that reveal more about his heart and his mission in this world that we get to be a part of. What a privilege. Why don't you stand as we now sing to our great God together.